Thank you so much for joining Stefan on the design plug. Yes, I really appreciate it, bro. Um, let's kick it off, man. Let's let's talk about your UX journey, man. How was it coming up? I mean, all the cool. details. Um, all the details. So once again, <laughs> thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Always happy to talk about design and, you know, I love meeting other black designers. I want more of us to be in the space because it's been awesome. So my design journey actually started kind of like when I was a teenager. I used to actually, the first thing I ever designed was like a site for mixtapes and mm. people would buy mixtapes off of this site. I was like 14 and um, it was it was funny because I used to read like the Source magazine, always yeah. loved hip hop. And there was this ad in the back of the magazine for the mixtapes or whatever. And I went on the site, I was 14. I didn't have bank account or anything. I couldn't buy these, these mixtapes offline. So mm -hmm. I emailed the guy, I was like, hey, you know, I'll design your website for you mm -hmm. if you uh, would send me these mixtapes. And he was <laughs> like, well, cool, how much did you charge? And I was like, oh, wait, I didn't think about that. And, money yeah. and so i was like uh four hundred dollars he was mm -hmm. like cool he was like um how should i pay you blah 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 and i was like um just send me cash because i didn't want my mom to know that i was designing the website and he was like cash are you sure like that sounds kind of shady i was like no nah, man just send me <laughs> cash and um he was like okay <laughs> and so, so he, he mailed you money <laughs> He mailed me cash wow, that's <laughs> crazy. In, a, in a FedEx envelope and he was like, I'll give you 200. And then once the site is done, I'll send you the other 200. And um, he sent me $200 and I was like, okay, well, I had been messing around with like um, Photoshop and I was like, well, let me use Dreamweaver. And so I built him a whole mm -hmm. site on Dreamweaver and he just paid me to keep designing a site. And um, eventually my mom found out, she's like, what? The heck who keeps calling this house you know and um i got in trouble temporarily but that was the start of my design journey um eventually you know i went to school and um didn't really see design as a career um you know at the time graphic design was more of a thing and while i enjoyed it i thought that it'd be kind of tough to break into i also didn't feel like i had like a real portfolio for it but then like to graduating i like went and worked at a bank absolutely hated it it wasn't, it wasn't for me, you know, so much yeah. of it wasn't for me. Why did I mean, you work course, at a bank? Is that, did you feel like maybe you felt pressured or you just, it was just a job? A little bit of both. So mm -hmm. I, I did feel like I wanted to be in finance because mm -hmm. um, I was just something I was like, well, I want to do something that makes good money where I mm -hmm. can, you know, kind of move around a bit and do, do a lot of cool stuff. And so I thought that banking would be that for me, that it was, it was a path towards that and that it would open other doors. Eventually, um, I quit that job and it was one of the, I mean, it was like one of the best decisions of my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just started doing design freelance full time. Eventually, I got hired at an early stage startup and, you know, the rest is history. It's, it's been amazing ever since. That's so you brought back a bit of nostalgia for me, man, when you brought up the mixtapes. So I, graphic design background, kind of self-taught early on, like around that age that you brought up, 14, 15-ish. But when I got my computer in college, I did freelancing on the side. And I had a few friends that were rappers. It was like, hey, can you design me a mixtape cover and all that type of shit? So <laughs> it's crazy you brought that up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was it. It was like mixtape covers, 
Yeah. Party flyers. <laughs> you know, business cards. Yeah. yeah. I still got some of that shit on my Facebook, bro. <laughs> That's crazy. This is crazy, man. So after the bank, like what really drove you to that point to say, you know what, I, I'm out of here because I feel like there are a lot of people that that don't like their job, that hate their job even. But there's something that certain people do to get themselves out of that situation. What was that for you? Yeah, so when I was, um, I mean, this is actually a big part of the story I should have mentioned, but I, I was at the bank. I wasn't enjoying it. I didn't really... I looked around, I was like, there's nobody whose job here I actually want. You <laughs> right. know, I met people all the way up to the top, you know, and I was like, I don't want, I don't want any of these people's job. Um, and then this guy that we work with actually died. And oh, yeah. um, oh, he, he, we worked pretty closely with him. He was, uh, he would go to a bunch of the different offices and he died. And I remember like we had our morning meeting and there was just like no remorse. They were just like, well, you know, if you have any of his accounts, let us know. Yeah, wow. You know, there was no like, we're going to send some flowers. Here's a funeral. Like there was just no information. That's really and how like, it is though, bro. That's really how it is. It was so crazy. Um, and it was just like, okay, well, if I die, this is exactly what would happen to me. So right. I'm out. And I, I literally quit like two weeks later because I was like, you mm -hmm. know, life life is short and you know they always say well follow your passion and that type mm -hmm. of stuff i i partially believe that but i i think that it's um you know you follow what you're good at and you'll get more passionate about it mm -hmm. and I agree. Yeah. design yeah. happened to line up um in both of those areas for me it was something that i was passionate about was something that i was good at and it just so happened to pay you know a decent salary as well i totally agree bro so was there anything that along your freelance journey that caught your eye and said, oh, I can go into the corporate world as a designer? When I started doing freelance, you know, I really struggled. So I had a couple of clients when I left the bank. At the time I was in the DC area, startups were really starting to pick up. You know, mm -hmm. there were all sorts of incubators, all sorts of investment. You know, I was going to a lot of meetups. A lot of the startups that I was meeting just weren't really in the space to do a lot of UX design. And so I ended up just continuously talking with people, but I, I felt like I wanted to join a startup. Like that was my thing. Cause I'm like, you know, you get in and you get equity and mm -hmm. um, there were so many people with amazing ideas. And it just got me really excited about meeting all these people that were mm -hmm. just like, I'm starting this thing. And you know, these things were taking off. And so I just, I think maybe after about like eight months I started looking um, into jobs and, you know, I heard, I got a lot of no's, um, but ultimately a company said yes. Mm -hmm. And I worked there for a little while and, you know, they ran out of money. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> it's a CSA startup, you know, mm -hmm. they, and, um, it was, it was really scary. Cause I was like, man, like, how am I going to find another job and this and mm -hmm. that, but you know, things just worked out little by little. I think this is a great segue um, for those that don't know. Chaz works at Google. So you've, you've had experience working at startups. You've had experience working at big tech companies. And this is a question that I have personally for myself, but I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience who are looking to be designers, product designers. What are some of the differences of working in a startup? And then what are some of the differences working in a large organization like Google? For sure. So 
I've actually had the privilege of working at like three different stages of Mm -hmm. kind of these companies. So the first job that I was at was an early stage startup. Um, We literally had four people and we had just gotten investment. The second was probably more of like a mid-stage startup, I'd say. We had about 125 people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my most recent job is at Google. so I would say the difference, there's, there are a lot of differences. Um, the, the larger the company, it's almost like the more detailed the work has to be. You know, mm-hmm. it's a little bit slower. It's a lot more bureaucracy. You're actually writing more than you're designing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at, you know, the mid-stage company, I knew everyone in the company. I knew everyone yeah. on my team. Mm-hmm. You know, I could go and walk up to anyone and say, hey, what do you think about this design? Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, we're getting it done just based off of a conversation. Um, at you know, at Google, you have to convince so many different people uh, to work on something. You know, so when you have an idea, like you can pitch it to your product manager, you can pitch it to your boss, and you can pitch it to engineers. But then they have to pitch it to their bosses. Mm. We have to pitch it to their bosses, and it's just you. Have, you know, the goals are different. Um, mm-hmm. The goals are at scale. You know, mm-hmm. you have to prove that ideas work. So I would say like the the major thing that learning at Google is like how to uh, get the message out about mm-hmm. my work and my ideas and to help other people make their ideas happen. But just doing that at scale, because I mean, mm-hmm. you could work on a project with, you know, 30 people and, you know, you have to communicate with all of them and make sure yeah you know make sure their goals are being met make sure your goals are being met um and then you know you still might have two other projects that you're working on at the time so it Mm -hmm. it's it's different it is very very different so you had mentioned earlier that you're actually writing more than you're designing can you kind of like expound on that yeah definitely so you do a lot of writing so like at the startups, I do a lot of prototyping, yep. you know, and my, the early stage startup, they had the idea, right? So they're like, you know, we want to do this like health uh, tracking app, you know, to address these two different diseases. Mm-hmm. And so how, how can you do that? And there's four of us. Mm-hmm. So I design, I do a, a prototype or a sketch. We have a mm-hmm. meeting and talk about it. Mm-hmm. We take notes. And then I'm literally just sending them PNG files to put into a deck. The mid-stage startup, the product managers have like a vision for what they think that we need. And so then I'm translating that vision into designs, also kind of bringing my own ideas into it. And once again, I'm more so like building prototypes. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely a lot of documentation, but it was more for, um, I'd say it was more for the engineers to implement the designs. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And but mm-hmm. then at Google, it's like you start with the user, you start with the user problem, you start with like how users are currently using the app, mm-hmm. um, different research, industry research. And then like your designs are almost like kind of in the background of the mm-hmm. user problem mm-hmm. and the solution and like how these things can be executed, you know, mm-hmm. and people are having conversations in in your in your like your your slide deck versus you know 
you just having a presentation where you're presenting mm-hmm. a prototype to a group of people, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like this ongoing thing and your work is being emailed around. And so a lot of mm-hmm. the decks that, you know, you create, they might be like 80 slides, but they'll have yeah. all the specs, all the prototypes, all the user mm-hmm. problems, all the competitive research. It's a lot. It's a lot of writing. It's a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. I'd say, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of covering the product from all aspects, like really from the design of it to also thinking about how it's going to make money, uh, because that process that you just described, it echoes along uh, a conversation we had with Erica, um, Steph, when she said, you know, design Mm -hmm. is slow and you see Mm -hmm. how Google is slowing it down and making sure that, you know, the problem, like you said, is Mm -hmm. being solved. So I'm thinking with that you gain a greater respect for the process and yeah. just, you know, your product knowledge is heightened because you're, you know, surrounding yourself with all the outside information as opposed to focusing on the design. For yeah. sure. And I think that, yeah, definitely. Like you have to think about all these problems and explain them. And um, you have to speak to everybody, you know, in their language, you know, like a product manager's goal, they, they get goals from their boss. So, one year it might be increased users. The next year it might be increased revenue, mm-hmm. you know? And so you have to, to be able to explain your ideas and your designs based on the, how they meet other people's goals. I, yeah, I, you definitely get more product knowledge. And I'd argue that in many ways, design, I almost feel like you can, you can master all of the hard skills, mm-hmm. but like the product knowledge and the soft skills, that's yes, kind of yeah. where the infinite potential is because mm-hmm. If I can convince a vice president, I can design anything, but mm-hmm. can I convince a vice president to put it out in the world, to prioritize right. it? And the way That's that you do that right is there. you communicate the value. Yeah, so I, I, I definitely think so. Yeah. So let's deep dive into that. Like, what are some things that you do to convince that VP? For sure. So, yeah. So let's say you were trying to increase users of an app mm-hmm. and people use our app every day right? Like we have a group that uses our app every day. Okay. So what are their patterns, right? You can look at their patterns and then how do you make their lives better? You know, how do you uh, improve on the things that are most useful to them, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like the design problem or the design solution could be something like, well, give the most active users a discount for one month, Mm -hmm. you know, or Mm -hmm. give them $5 to refer a friend, you know, that's Mm -hmm. still a design solution. Um, or the UI can just be like, hey, encourage users to rate our app in the app store, mm-hmm. you know? And so all those are design solutions that can still meet that goal, um, but could be, you know, maybe they're not like a brand new feature, but you can also expand on features that you think will make the app become more popular. You know, you mm-hmm. can change the signup screen, mm-hmm. you know, you can change the free features in the app. Like there's a lot. But I think it's it's unique to every app and every product. Just you talking about the whole process at Google, it just makes me really think about how like some of these large companies, their process is so different from startups. Like with in a startup, I would say I'm in like a mid-level startup. So our, our process is kind of like all over the place a little bit, right? But when you're talking about Google's process is very methodical, you know what I'm saying? Like you yeah. guys, mm-hmm. because you guys are at scale. So if you guys make one small decision, it can really hurt a certain yeah. part of the company. Mm-hmm. Do you operate in a sense of fear knowing that? Or do you say, well, because we listen to our users, we, there is really no fear of that? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So I feel like when I first got there, I was very afraid of mm-hmm. making a mistake and my designs being like made fun of in a Reddit thread or like <laughs> on some, some like tech blog, like, what is this? This is stupid. Yeah. But you do a lot of research and you make decisions um, just based on the feedback that you get from users, the research. Ultimately, like you will make some mistakes and it, it's interesting. So I actually... I can't like go into the specifics about the project, but I had an internal project that I worked on Mm -hmm. and we released the project internally Mm -hmm. and people hated it. I mean, (laughs) hated it. It was just like, it was incredible. I had never experienced anything like this in my life. Like just so much negative feedback. People were making memes about it. (laughs) It was just like, this is wild memes man and, um, so and, so we have yeah. like a, an internal meme like system when people just make memes on it and like people are literally making memes and like i'm looking at my designs yeah. as memes yeah. and i was yeah. like yo this is crazy but at the same time i was like well okay like yeah i guess it's not that bad like some of these memes are kind of funny and i yeah. you know i still think that i made the right decision yeah you know so i um you, you think it could happen. It could very well yeah. happen. Yeah. Also, I guess another thing is um, to kind of expect some negative feedback from, from big changes. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. one thing I always try to communicate when we're doing something where people, they say like, well, people are going to say this. And I'm like, well, yeah, we should expect some of that, you know, mm-hmm. but we should also expect some positive feedback too. So mm-hmm. at Google, what is your official title? Cause you come from a bunch of different skill sets, bro. Yeah. Sure. So my official title is interaction designer. Okay, now explain um, yeah, that to the yeah. person on the street. So interaction designer, I, I still look at everything as UX for the most part. Yeah. But um, because we have a larger team, I do focus on a lot more of like the actual workflows that we're going to put put into the apps. And so I explain mm-hmm. the workflows and I explain the user problems. We have user researchers, we have UX writers, whereas at a, at a startup that I might be doing those jobs, Everything. you know, yeah. and all they, of them, all of them. And so <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of times that's where a startup will say, well, we hire, we need a UX designer or a product designer. Um, mm-hmm. But as, a, as an interaction designer, my official role is to focus on creating the right interactions. So are you using like some of these really cool interaction to, uh, interaction design tools like Framer, Protopie? Um, or are you guys just like strictly sticking with like Figma? Yeah, I I really use Figma a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used Principle a bunch mm-hmm. as well when um, I yeah, work on like the that. mobile apps because um, you need like more animations and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but for the most part, I'm using Principle. But we also have people, excuse me, um, on other teams that code, they'll code their prototypes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people that use Framer. It depends on the team that you're on. For example, if I'm designing something that we're only going to test with a small number of users, right? Principle or Figma prototype is fine. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, we want to test it on a thousand users, you know, yeah. you want to test it in the wild, you know, I need a UX designer that knows how to code to actually build that test. Um, and so I think there's just, there are a lot of different uh tools that you can use it just a lot of it depends on the team i gotta ask 
Do you feel included while you're in discussions, decisions? Like, talk about it. So for me, I have been on the other side of that where I felt excluded. Yeah. Yeah. And I was at companies where I was excluded. And, mm-hmm. you know, I felt intentional. And so when I left that company, I said, you know, I'm never letting that happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, that being like not just excluded, but in some ways I felt actually attacked in some yeah. situations. I I knew that like I couldn't allow that to happen again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I kind of built a tool set to help me address these issues. So mm-hmm. I do feel like at Google, like I insert myself in a conversation if there's a microaggression, right? Yeah. I address yeah. it right there, you know. But I, I think that, you know, it does depend on the team that you're on. It depends on the the per, the people that you're working with but i think it is something where i guess i'll say i've earned the trust mm-hmm. of those around me now mm-hmm. but i was very very intentional mm-hmm. about not just earning that trust but like letting people know that i was competent and not taking any shit for lack of better words yeah. like it's because it's one of those things like these things will spiral out of control if you if you allow them to to not listen to you then mm-hmm. they won't, you know, if you allow people to take your ideas, mm-hmm. they'll keep taking them and they'll keep asking you for new ones, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's one of those things where like, I, I'm very intentional in, in my professional life to make sure that I always address um, any sort of exclusion or any sort of microaggression or anything mm-hmm. that I feel is racist or biased mm-hmm. when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's super important, man. Just being able to be in an environment where you where you feel like you can easily speak your mind. I think a lot of especially us being um, black men, um, just mm-hmm. being in this world, sometimes when you're in an environment where it's you don't see anyone that looks like you, mm-hmm. um, that dresses like you or anything like that. Sometimes and I, you know, I've dealt with this in my career so far, but like you feel afraid to speak up, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Because you've you feel like if you say something, mm-hmm. you know, people might take that out of context. Mm-hmm. So like that's just one thing that I've really dealt with. And I'm glad that you, you you mentioned that because that's that's really helped me out. Just to be more courageous and be more bold, regardless of if I'm the only person in the room that looks like myself. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that a lot of times you are in tech, you're gonna be the only black person in the room. I mean mm-hmm. It's just, it's so real thing. You know, sometimes I'm yeah. the only black person that I work with. And yeah. it's like, you do a lot of times, you can feel like an outsider, but if, you, if you're in the right environment, you know, you can make it work. But the reality is there are some environments out there that are toxic to mm-hmm. where, you no, know, you're right. It's not safe to speak up. And, you know, your assertiveness is going to be taken as aggression, yeah. you know, and that's something to really be on the lookout for um mm-hmm. and i i think that it's important to find an environment that is not toxic you know mm-hmm. to find people that you can thrive with because you don't want to be doing more work for less credit right and you also don't want to be um just miserable and not able to achieve your maximum potential because mm-hmm. to me it's like if you come in and you're adding so much value right you should be compensated for that. You should be rewarded for that. But yeah. also if people around you can't see that value, then you got to bounce. 
you know, and, and, yeah. and figure out where you will be valued. That to me is so important because you'll find companies that won't reward you for your work. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll find companies that don't listen to you. And chances are you're right. You know what I'm saying? In the moment, it feels like tricky because it's like, yo, am I tripping? Like, am I walling out? Like, am I, yeah, you know, bro. is this, is this real? Yeah. That just happened. Yeah. 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 They meet it like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did they remember that I told them that? And it's like, it's a real bro. thing that happens. But because yeah. a lot of times, if you're the only black person there, then it's like, whoa, like you don't have anyone else to kind of bounce, um, bounce those like situations off of where you can talk about it. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that kind of goes to another thing. It's like, I think it is important to find allies wherever you're working. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you're the only black person, find somebody else that, you know, they can't relate a hundred percent to your situation, but you feel mm-hmm. comfortable talking to about things and you know, like that they have enough insight to like be yeah. honest with you and like, it helps, you know, it helps to be heard. It helps to kind of work through things. Like if you have, a, like I've had coworkers that I work with mm-hmm. and they say something crazy. I'm like, I'll talk to someone else about it. I'm like, is that, did that? And they're like, well, he, they're like that with everybody. And I'm like, okay, okay, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But I've also had yeah. coworkers come up to me and be like, I feel like that person kept cutting me off. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, they did. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and you can back those people up in the meetings. They can back mm-hmm. you up in the meetings. And I think it, I think that's, that's a part of getting things done. I think when we think about the industry, right, and we have a disconnect between like design, development, and product, product right? Yeah. What would you say is, you know, some of the steps that we should be taking as an industry to create a better synergy among those different work streams? Yeah, because we always beefing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's always beef, man. <laughs> I think that the most important thing is to um, to build relationships mm-hmm. with all the stakeholders. You know, you don't have to be best friends with everyone, but you should have a few friends. You know, mm-hmm. the mid-sized company that I was at, when I first got there, man, the developers, they hated designers. Mm-hmm. You know, it was... Um, it was... Uh, the product didn't have a lot of like the product had a lot of like administrators and kind of like people that manage databases. And they were like, well, these people don't care about UX. So why are you here? Mm. And I had to build relationships with these guys and kind of talk to them more about the way that I thought. And so then when I'm in a meeting with them, I'm not just the designer, I'm like Chaz, you know? Mm -hmm. And even with developers, like I found, I feel like sometimes they can get overwhelmed, mm-hmm. like at least depending on the size of the company, like how much time they think they have to work. You know, mm-hmm. you come to them and you have like this whole screen and all of these mocks and all of these new things. And they're just like, mm-hmm. how am I going to build all this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one thing I definitely uh, try to do early on is get developers involved. Mm-hmm. So like, once the feature is announced or once I have like some sort of assignment, I'm like, okay, let me do some initial sketches and let me sit down with a couple of developers and show them what I'm thinking about. And it's like, mm-hmm. then it's not like an official meeting where they're mm-hmm. being assigned work. It's like, mm-hmm. Hey, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. You now, how much time will this take to build? Is this achievable? Is there a way to, to do this in a shorter uh, mm-hmm. time, time frame? You know, mm-hmm. if I change this screen a little bit, does that make it easier? And that to me 
um, that has been probably the the one of I'll say one of my superpowers as a designer mm-hmm. is always mm-hmm. like being empathetic towards the developers and not babying them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like yeah. just looking out for them the way that um, I would want to be looked out for if I was in a situation. And then you know when your features get launched, then it's like well then you get credit mm-hmm. for that. But mm-hmm. then also like when you have a crazier idea or you want the animations or mm-hmm. something needs to be moved two pixels, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll happily do it for you yeah. because they're like, you know, Chaz cares about, you know, my time and he mm-hmm. cares about the product and mm-hmm. they're also bought in, you know? So yeah. I think that that is the, the best the best thing that you can do is like build good relationships with your developers. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as product managers, the PMs, PMs can be tough because some PMs don't fully care. I mean, they don't care about the design or they mm-hmm. don't care. You know, they disagree about like how users work mm-hmm. or they just like some PMs don't really care about relationships as much. They care more. They're a little bit more political mm-hmm. where they're just like, I got to talk to this person and get this thing done. But I think with PMs, a lot of it is, you know, figuring out how to talk to them about what they care about, figuring out what their priorities are, asking them like a lot of questions like, okay, well, what's our timeline with this? Mm -hmm. You know, what, Mm -hmm. what like larger goals is this kind of feeding into within the organization? Mm -hmm. You know, so knowing how they get rewarded, Mm -hmm. you know, are they rewarded for, like I was saying earlier, more users, Mm -hmm. more revenue? You know, are they going to be rewarded because they got a certain customer? And Mm -hmm. if you focus everything towards helping them meet that goal, then in some ways it's like, sometimes it's like FOMO kicks in, you know, because they're like, man, like you have this design that, that will accomplish this. And then just Mm -hmm. giving them data, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. of PMs, like, I don't know, some PMs are more data driven. Mm -hmm. Some are more vision driven. So I think just knowing what type of, personality you're dealing with and like feeding them from the angles that they need you know mm-hmm. yeah so it seems like you have to be kind of like bilingual right you got to learn how to speak product and you have to learn mm-hmm. how to speak with developers um so i did want to ask you about the your relationships with developers and you bring them inside your process so w- when exactly do you reach out to developers to start asking them about some of the ideas that you have? Is it like in the very beginning, like midway through your process or throughout, maybe throughout the whole thing? It, it depends on like the timeline and how the work is divvied out. But I think if developers are already aware, like say, okay, you know, it's a new quarter, company has all these things that they want to build. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, Chaz, go design this. So I'll do like a quick mock like a v1 mock you know and i'll meet with the developer about it and say hey like do you have 30 minutes to talk with me about this design and then like they can ask questions um they can begin to work in their mind like how they would build this um how long it'll take and even like help me to to kind of scope things down if i need to i do those conversations early on and so then I just keep building from there. And, you know, you have check-ins, um, but then like, even once the final mocks are kind of decided on, you know, you might need to iterate to scope things down because they find that's the one part of 
the design doesn't work or, you know, there's like a different error state that pops up and, you know, I just say the whole process, like I see developers as like partners, like I'm all, I'm always talking with developers, even in just status mm-hmm. meetings, pinging developers. Like it's like, yeah, I talk with developers all the time, you know, and, yeah. and always, I think it's important. Like you're not going to necessarily be friends with everyone, mm-hmm. but if you work with a team of five developers, well, you need to be real cool with one of them, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. That's that to me is like the best way to handle it. Like if you have one person that you're cool with, you know, um, then that helps because they can explain your designs to the other developers mm-hmm. and to yeah. actually defend your designs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I've had developers kind of, you know, say that I won't say tear down my work, but tear down my work. Yeah. And another developer was like. Oh no no no! This works. Like we can we can do this. Mm-hmm. Think about this, you know. And I don't I don't code, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't. And I don't I don't know how the system is set up, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to make that that point, you know. If I start doing that, man, I'm gonna save myself so much so oh, much yeah. time and headaches, bro. Uh, it's that's, a game I'm changer. Glad you say that, yeah, bro. I'm definitely gonna start doing that because towards deadlines, there's always something that comes up, and that's something that could have been knocked out a, a weeks prior, right? Yeah. So that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely something I'm going to start doing. Yeah, no, I 100% agree, man. Like, I, I think in my career, I've only had one place where I didn't interact with developers like that. Like, mm-hmm. all of the stops that I've been at, I've interacted with developers pretty much on a one-on-one basis. It's like, hey, dude, I'm thinking about this here. What do you think about that? Um, now, I wanted to ask you, in doing that, what helps me, I'm a big wireframe guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is an underrated artifact. Um, mm-hmm. What are some artifacts that you use um, when interacting with your designer in a one-on-one setting like that? Yeah, so I used to use Envision prototypes. Like that was that was my thing. Like I created an Envision prototype. Um, whiteboarding exercises, yeah, always good. Because like I feel like sometimes if you just have a forty-five minute meeting where you almost design the app with the developer mm-hmm. right there they're bought in because it's theirs too but yep. also you've worked out all the problems in real time mm-hmm. and so now whatever you come up with is so much better and you've avoided uh mm-hmm. some of those pitfalls that would have would, might not have come up for you know another couple months um at google i i do a, i do some of those things i'd say mm-hmm. but a lot of times it's just like um, either I'll share the designs in a deck or, you know, I might even just present my Figma file, mm-hmm. you know, and, and get feedback that way as well. Or, I mean, if you like see something that a competitor is doing, mm-hmm. you know, you can ping them and say like, Hey, like, would it be possible for us to do this? Like I use Blase Blah app, like, mm-hmm. what, has anybody thought about doing that in our apps? You know, that type right. of thing, like. There's all sorts of ways. Um, ultimately, it just it all depends on the team and the process, and like mm-hmm. what how how people work best. I know I've worked with people like I, I tried to give them like low res wireframes, mm-hmm. or no, I guess so. The it started off like I gave them the high res yeah. wireframes and walkthroughs. It was it would overwhelm them. They're like we're mm-hmm. overthinking. We need something scaled down, you know. And then I gave them the low res wireframes. They're like, well, we can't estimate properly. <laughs> because we don't know everything that we need to create right and then, and then it was like okay 
first of all, this meeting is too big. So I, mm-hmm. I'm talking with 10 developers. Mm-hmm. Eight of y'all get out. I'm like, let's talk yeah. with let's talk with two of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then we can begin to have this discussion, like, and then like later on when everything is more refined, um, we can talk with the whole group if they even need to be there. So it's a really good approach, man. Um, you know, and I, I've been in situations like that too, like where I remember the first time I got, I felt ambushed where uh, it was me and one other designer and we go into a meeting and my, I was under the impression that it was just going to be like, I don't know, maybe four, you know, one or two developers and shit. And I walk in and I'm like, okay, this is a pretty big room. What are we doing it here for? And then boom, <laughs> here come 10, 10 designers. I'm like, oh, I'm mean, 10 developers. I'm like, oh shit, this is one of those. And, you know, the different personality types of developers is, yeah. is pretty interesting, but it's like five types, bro. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious, man. But, um, you know, you're right though. Like, okay, this is too much. I need, I need 80. Yeah. I need 80 y'all to get out. I need to yeah. talk to the ones who is actually assigned to my shit. Who's, who's working talk on to this? Him. Cause it's like 80 y'all are just here. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> you're not even going to work on this. Yeah. Like, let me talk to you two because you two are working on on this. Y'all, y'all actually want to have a conversation about this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What is the the first thing you remember when you first stepped foot into Google? Like, what was going in your head? What was your thought process like? You know, walk me through that. Whew, man. Um, I remember when I first started. Three years ago now. Three years three ago. Years ago. Got you. Yeah. Um, today is actually my my three year anniversary. Oh now. shit! Yeah. Hey, congrats, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was overwhelming. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever been in a building that size. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I work at, at Google in in New York, and the building mm-hmm. is just massive. It's a it's mm-hmm. a whole city block long. And you're going around and you're like, yo, all these people are my coworkers. Like, this is yeah. nuts. And it was, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in. And it was just like, man, like, am I going to be able to do this? And I was like, a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot yeah. of, you know, kind of feeling lost because I've, I've never worked for a company like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just asking my manager a lot of questions. And yeah. he was looking at me like, what, what are you talking about? Like, why are you asking this? So I was like, no, man, like I need to know, like from start to finish, how do designs get out into the world? Mm-hmm. Because at the smaller companies, you know, everybody that's at every stage, right. you know, the product manager, you know, you know, the marketing team, you mm-hmm. know, the front end engineers, the back end engineers, the QA engineers, mm-hmm. you know, you know, everybody. And you can fit all those people in a room at Google, you, you don't know who's who, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was just like, okay, well, I need to, I need to know like who, who does everything. And so he gave me a few different tasks. It definitely helped calm me down, but it was like, he asked me to audit the products. And so I work on doc sheets and slides. And so I'm auditing them and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. <laughs> like I'm literally sitting here with, you know, a sketch file with these mm-hmm. components yeah. For Google Docs, like it was nuts to me. That's um, crazy. Products that asking my opinion about this. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, it was wild. And so, uh, you know, after doing that, like that helped a lot because it was like I presented it to people and they're like, yeah, this makes sense. We've been talking about this and it was great. And so I'd say like slowly I, I started feeling more comfortable. Um, 
this is super exciting. And mm-hmm. I felt, you know, it was, it was a very proud moment for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Coming from yeah. coming from my background and going through the different professional struggles that, you know, I've gone through. Um, mm-hmm. It was just, I, I didn't think that I would end up somewhere like that. So. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's well. dope, man. That's super dope. For people who are just starting out in product design, would you suggest for them to maybe look at starting at a startup or like a mid-level company or go big and try to get a, a job at a fang company or one of those large companies out there? Yeah, so, man, I think if you would have asked me a couple years ago, my advice would have been go to a startup first or a mid-level company first mm-hmm. and then go to a larger company. Um, reason being, you're going to get a lot more experience. You're going mm-hmm. to be working on like all different parts of the product, all different parts of, you know, getting things out into the world. Um, you're going to work fast. You're going to build a lot of stuff. Um, you know, you're going to, people are really, really, really going to rely on you. Mm-hmm. And um, it's exciting, you know, working at a smaller company and having all these different things going on. I think that my advice now would be, mm-hmm. If you go to a bigger company, make sure you do all those same things that you would do at a smaller company at a bigger company. And don't slow down until you're tired. Like mm-hmm. one thing I do see at Google is like I can I can I can do a lot. Like I can reach out to people on all different types of products. Um, I can join a 20% project and just, you know, contribute designs. I can experiment with different designs um, on the apps that I work on and you have a lot of resources, mm-hmm. um, but it is large companies are very, very, very different um, than some of the mid and small size companies. So I think it is like, I'd say it is a matter of preference. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, if I could do, do everything over again, I probably would just, I would go the same route small company, mid-sized company, large company, um, because those lessons are so valuable. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, even when you're at a startup, like the camaraderie is there because you're actually sprinting towards the finish line and you meet some challenges. I told you the first first company I was at ran out of money. Mm -hmm. You know, the second one I was at, we had a very dark period where we didn't really know what we were going to do, what we were going to build. So you have, you know, a hundred people and we're like, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> and that was so dark. But I remember that moment being at the company being like, cause I'd never experienced anything like that before. And I, I remember watching everyone kind of get in a room and figure it out, you know, and turn it around. And, mm-hmm. you know, next thing you know, we're cranking out a different product. And that taught me something, you know, yeah. about, um you know leadership but even just business in general so yeah no man i i I definitely agree i think for me if you ask me that i say you need to start off at a smaller or a mid-sized company personally because i feel like that is your best teacher Mm -hmm. um going straight to you know if you're fortunate enough 
to skip the small and midsize and go straight to a, you know, a really large enterprise um, company. I feel like in a lot of ways you get spoiled and especially um, in the face of adversity, whereas somebody like me who I say came up in the trenches in startups, failed in my own startup and then have a successful one and then working at mid-size, and then I got to a large-size company. I'm like, oh, hmm. I wasn't ill-prepared at all. Like, I, I was ready to handle any situation because I've been in, like, I've been at every level. For me, like, obviously, you're at Google, so that's, like, one of the four. But I was at 7-Eleven, and I tell you, bro, I was, I was just like, mm-hmm. it don't seem like a lot of people know what they're doing around here either. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I've the most successful places I've been at where I've had products go to market have been at small and mid-sized companies. I will tell you the team, the team that I was on, they were badass designers and and of all kinds. But it just seemed like, you know, at the product level there, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And they were fighting us. And it's like, dude, we're a part of the same team. So, but I definitely feel like to really pay your dues but also get the learning experience. I, I say there's nothing like learning or working at a startup yeah. or a mid-size company, period. Like you're just ready for any problem. For sure. Yeah, startups and mid-size companies, you actually, you know, you get the the holistic experience. Yep. You know, because you're responsible for everything. You're responsible for the research. You might be responsible for the literal colors that mm-hmm. go into the app, the brand colors, like yep. the website in that experience is is invaluable and it does teach you something when you get to a larger company like you know mm-hmm. how things move through the organization mm-hmm. you know um so yeah definitely yeah i'm glad y'all brought that up because i definitely have this obsession of like working at um like mm-hmm. a fame company right off the bat but i realized working at a startup and i think this is my plan for the next few years like working mm-hmm. at a startup being able to ship features and products it's just it's just a lot different of course i haven't worked at a fan company so i don't know mm-hmm. what that's like but i feel like for people who are just now getting started or who are looking for their first job like working at a startup or a mid-sized company is probably going to be the the best teacher for you for sure mm-hmm. and i think another thing Steph, what you'll notice is like in our conversations, we keep hearing ally or build relationship. Yeah, It's so critical, dude. And I wanted to get your perspective on how do you approach going about building relationships? Like soon as you come in, in a new environment or a new mm. job, what is your plan of attack in doing that? I enjoy talking to people in general. Like I love mm-hmm. talking to people I love meeting people Um, everywhere I go. I talk to people and I just find people interesting. And I think that a lot of times when you're in a new environment, you just want to find the people that you think are okay with the the realest version of you, the fullest version of you, but are also like as, as a black person are aware of the things that black people face. And even Mm -hmm. though they can't relate to them themselves, like, they're not going to stand for it. I also think that just hearing what people talk about and how they talk about it, you know, mm-hmm. they talk about racism, is it a surface performative level to where they're just trying mm-hmm. to impress you? Or is mm-hmm. it like a no, like, this is wrong, this is messed up. I don't mm-hmm. have answers, but, you know, I got you. Like, is it that type of thing? Yeah. But also 
finding the people that you feel will be problematic and Mm -hmm. talking to them, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've had people that I, when I got to work with them, they hated everything that I did. And Mm so I was like, okay, well, let's sit and let's talk about this. Let's Mm -hmm. go through the work. Let's go through the designs. What doesn't work about this? Mm -hmm. And some of those people had very useful feedback. I would actually begin to go to them because they had a different perspective than I did. And so I knew like they could kind of, they could see in the blind spots that I Mm -hmm. couldn't see. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. understand like that that's part of what you'll be dealing with and manage that as you can. But I definitely think it's also like just seeing different steps of getting your designs out into the world and different mm-hmm. steps in your career as literally those same steps and knowing like, okay, who is that, you know, each checkpoint, you know, mm-hmm. it's a product manager, product manager comes up with the idea and then disappears until mm-hmm. it's done, you know, okay, well then <laughs> you have, it's, it sounds like your developers are on the checkpoint, you know, mm-hmm. do you have a product manager that he cares a lot about this idea. So he wants to meet with you all the time and talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, then he's, he's the one at those checkpoints in, you know, just finding out more about people than, you know, just the work. But I think yeah. that that's the thing. It's like just learning more about people than just the work as well. Yeah, it's really just about, like you said, communication and just being mm-hmm. proactive and seeking. Because a lot of times what I'm learning in my position is sometimes I can be more reactive than proactive. Mm-hmm. So like just going out and just reaching out and talking to people and asking them for their opinions or if you just want to get to know them and things like that. So that's definitely a great point that you brought up. Yeah, bro. Outside of your work, um, does any of your passions involve design? I, I say I feel like it used to. <laughs> yeah. now, now I try to get more of a break from design. I I think that a lot of my passions now are probably like more social. Like I, before COVID, I loved going out and exploring the city, um, going to different events and meeting people within the tech industry and creative industries. Also like, you know, I, I got a bike when COVID started. Yeah. Um, and I started doing that and that's been amazing. That's what's up, man. How do we get more of us in this space? Yeah, so I think that with engineering, mm-hmm. a lot, you know, you're so many black engineers are coming into the field. You mm-hmm. know, engineering is one of those things where every like coding had a moment where yeah. everybody knew like, yo, this is a future. We need to learn how to code. And mm-hmm. that's just across the spectrum. You yeah. know, so I do think that a lot of us hear about coding and that's what we latch on to and that's what we look towards. I think that just knowing that design is out there mm-hmm. is a thing. Like I think it starts with, you know, high school education mm-hmm. and middle school education. Kids understanding like all these apps that you're using, somebody drew that, mm-hmm. you know, and somebody made it work this way. And even just like people thinking about like, how do you build products? Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, it was in some ways, like it was kind of my passion for startups mm-hmm. combined with my design uh, skills that made me begin to think about how to put together a product. So I think like that's a major part of it is like letting people know early because, you know, it is designed. So you do have to like begin to, some of these like more creative artistic skills 
But I think a lot of the soft skills are just come natural to professionals, you know, when you're mm -hmm. working. But yeah, I think design education, I think being intentional about finding people in the right places, helping people switch careers. I don't have the, the yeah. perfect answer, but mm -hmm. I think that it all starts with awareness. Once you have people that are aware, like helping those people get into the door, helping those people get better, you know, yeah. having, having resources like this, where like, if, you know, I'm Googling articles about design, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I'm interested in it, I can hear more about how to get a career path started to actually become a designer. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I agree That's with right. you, dude. I don't think there's any... Uh, we're at, you know, 3% or less. So there are a number of problems. So that means there are a number of answers. So mm -hmm. I think there's a multitude of ways to increase that number. Hell, there's, it seems like there's been a multitude of ways to exclude us, right? So sure. we have a lot of different avenues and I like to pinpoint or at least collect other people's um, answers because I think, you know, all of those collectively can help increase our numbers, whether that is, creating a pipeline for us to go work for others versus us realizing that there is something called freelance and there is something mm -hmm. that you can create a startup out yep. of, you know, you a can concept. create your own app. You can create exactly. your own app. Like you and people need app. to know that. <laughs> and that <laughs> is on your, you know, when you want to become a designer, that's on your resume. I also, I mean, this is kind of a random thought, but I also think keeping connected with other black designers is a way to increase 100%. the numbers because you know, you can burn out and yeah. you can be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And you go do mm -hmm. something else. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, I, I definitely had low points where I was like, I don't want to be a designer anymore. I can't handle this. Mm -hmm. But then like talking with my other black friends in tech, telling them things I was going through, they're mm -hmm. like, yo, just stick it out. Like you'll be a fine, you know, mm -hmm. do this, try this. Yeah. That sounds right. That sounds racist. You know, that sounds like yeah. they were, you know, mistreating you. That sounds like, oh, no, they meant that, you know, mm -hmm. and that even just having that affirmation of my reality and my experience mm -hmm. helped me to keep going. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because I was ready to quit. And so that's, that's one less black designer out there, you know? Yeah. So I do think that staying connected helps sustain the numbers and also helps us to grow because then like as different people move up, you can bring other people with you. You can refer them to mm -hmm. other jobs. You know, you could share expertise, you can share experiences. And the more like people learn about how to navigate these spaces and hear about the unique black experience in mm -hmm. tech and design, I think the more people um, can follow in those in our footsteps and, you know, even go farther than we than we uh, go. Wow, yeah, it's bigger facts, bro. I 100% I agree with you, bro. And, you know, Chaz, I really appreciate your perspective, dude. You know, Steph really helps me out by connecting me with so many Black, you know, designers of all kinds, interaction, product, you know, yada, yada. We're all designers at the end of the day. But I have never met so many Black people in my life in this field, literally until like two years ago. And it's it's been mind blowing, but it's also showing like, hey, we got a we got a lot more of us to bring in here. You know, mm -hmm. we got a lot more work to do, and I think we owe it to ourselves to give back and help somebody up. Like that's just what we have to get out of that crab in the barrel, you know, mentality, 
and help somebody get out and push somebody out and like, hey, my time's coming. And when you get on, you I'll bring you on. So yeah, I really appreciate your perspective.